Hello and welcome to episode 25 of The Cross the Aisle. I'm Carla Donnelly, your host for this episode, and as always, I'm joined by my fellow critic, art lover and art fighter, Philip Teal. Hello, Carla. Hi. Good to see you. <laughs> you too, in the daylight. <laughs> it's winter, midwinter, but today it does actually feel a bit like spring, in fact, and Melbourne is booming. We all know Melbournians love the long, dark season. It's their time to shine. Everyone donning all their black, big coats, hats, and hitting the festival lines. However, we are taking some time out from that to talk about Little One's Theatre. Little One's Theatre are an independent company we have covered on the show a few times, namely their silent version of Dracula and an adaptation of Oscar Wilde's children's story, The Happy Prince. Today's episode will be dedicated to their two most recent works, The Moors, produced by Red Stitch, and Merciless Gods, the adaptation by Diane Giovanni for Little One's Theatre at Northcote Town Hall. Little One's Theatre are artistic director Stephen Nicolazzo, lighting designer Katie Svakidis, and Eugene Te, set and costume designer and co-artistic director slash triple threat. This dynamic trio, along with a somewhat regular cast and designer Tessa, Tessa Wolfenbuttle-Pitt, best name ever, <laughs> create high camp theatre, querying standard texts and adaptations. Not to launch too far into identity politics, but little ones get me. And live my definition of queer, which is quite simply, quote unquote, other. And little ones are other. I thought this was a great opportunity to cover an independent company as they play on a smaller main stage and then produce an ambitious adaptation of a much-loved local writer, Christos Chalkos's book of short stories, both shows running in the same month. There will be lots to talk about in terms of the institutional space and artistic independence, adaptations and the productions themselves. Philip, yes, homo. Take, <laughs> take it away with Moors. It is exciting to have this company doing two things in such different ways, but at the same time. And so we can legitimately talk about those two productions in this comparative way. And I'm just getting used to being able to predict something of what a Little Ones Theatre show will be like. And like you, I do feel tickled by them with the perhaps additional uh, ticklishness of being a teacher of English. So at the moment, for example, I'm teaching Year 9 students Jane Eyre. Oh. Uh, so The Moors is uh, very much up my alley, um, aesthetically, professionally. <laughs> or, or across your moor. Or erotically, <laughs> as this show explores. Indeed, Little Ones Theatre likes to sort of open... Uh, the door that might only have a chink of the subversive and the erotic and let it shine out. <laughs> um, I mean, as you read Jane Eyre, you sort of think, well, she really is paying a little bit too much attention to that shoulder wound. Uh, but here she just spends the whole night delighted to be mopping it up, baby. Um, so it's really gothic fiction as kink. Yes. Um, and it was just scrumptious in every way. They write about this production that it is part gothic thriller, part black comedy, a tale of seething tensions and repressed passions tormenting Agatha and Huldy, <laughs> who are eking out an isolated life in the wild and inhospitable Heath, the bleak moors of England, the bleakest, etc. So we had these two sisters, uh, one desperately unhappy, the other resolutely miserable, and who should appear into this uh, but a naive and ambitious governess, mm. uh, Emily, the perpetual governess. Uh, so 
Red Stitch Theatre is such a little room that my first question about this production was going to be, what would it look like? How do you do vast, outdoor, bleak, windy, wintry England mm. in that little box of a room? Mm. Um, and the answer, in a way, was with costume and bodies. The characters were really arranged in sculptural formats a lot of the time, and there was essentially no set All we got were these fabulous uh, Victorian-era dresses and suits, and a lot was left up to our imagination, including the idea that a human-looking person is a dog Mm. um, and that that dog is in love with a moorhen. Such things were seemingly easy enough to believe when performed in this endlessly suggestive way. In fact, I really loved these scenes that kept interrupting the flow with this crash-landed moorhen being pursued by a hungry but gentle dog. Who's essentially having an existential crisis. Yes. Mm. And then eventually walks back in with a feather and it's Well, I kind of feel like everyone's having an existential crisis (laughs) in this play. Yeah. I mean, the the story was um, wonderfully heightened. It was style, 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 which is part of what Little One's Theatre really offers. But the writing, I thought, was really enjoyable and fantastic as well. This was Jen Silverman's script, and it featured wonderfully strange lines that nonetheless seemed true in the moment and in the atmosphere of this production. (laughs) One that I scribbled down was, Murder is the orange dress you thought you couldn't afford. (laughs) (laughs) Taken out of context, totally meaningless, but I'm sure that at the time I was going, Yes, yes it is, darling! Um, So I just had a scrumptious time of it down at Red Stitch. Did you also lap this up? (laughs) (laughs) That's a very particular turn of phrase, Philip. Um, Yes and no. So I sort of took this in a a very different way and, you know, perhaps it doesn't matter, but I I ended up walking out of there really curious as to whether this was um, because Red Stitch is an actors collective and it's like a democratic kind of organisation where they all decide on the the plays that are going to go into a program. Mm. They make sure that it, all the actors in the collective are represented in all of the plays. So it's like, you know, pretty commie in a lot of ways. So I'm unsure as to whether this was programmed and they thought it was a great fit for Stephen and Little Ones or whether they approached Little Ones to bring something queer to them to kind of mix up their programming. It kind of feels like a a square peg in a round hole. I mean, not let's not get too further into the weeds with these (laughs) analogies. But, uh, yeah, it was sort of – it's so funny because it is a – the text is quite – queering of a straight kind of story you know and then there's also the little ones kind of flourishes on top where you know the governess comes out and sings uh, Kate Bush on a mandolin you know <laughs> um, these very kind of twisted moments but <laughs> but Kate Bush herself you know is drawn to this material is drawn to the Brontes for what is there no it's look, not the straightest literature there is trust me I get it Philip <laughs> But but it just it it felt like pops of color and something that just didn't seem to be. I don't know, like the play felt oddly conservative, even though 
it was played as is, which was a queer lesbian tale, but it actually felt like it was a little one's adaptation of a straight script, but morphed for a red stitch audience. So it had like a lot of the hallmarks of the things that I come to you know, expect from a little one's performance. And there were definitely the things that got the biggest laughs of the night. But was this a comedy? Was it a drama? It was kind of all over the map for me. And the whole dog and hen existential (laughs) other storyline just didn't work. I felt like it could have just been cut. So it could have been a horror play. It just, it, it sort of was all over the map for me. I love this. I love this speculation about whether the relationship between Little Ones and Red Stitch resulted in a kind of naughty boy quality to the production, trying to sneak in elements of their style, um, but being resisted in other ways. Because mm. that could account for some of those things you're detecting in the production of the hodgepodginess of it. Mm. Um, and I agree that it was um, deliberately or otherwise kind of perplexed about its own genre. There was a uh, brother trapped upstairs in the style of Bertha, you know. Um, And yet that was also somehow eroticised. So you think, you know, feeding gruel through a brick for your brother, can that be kinky? Possibly not, or who knows. But, you know, it it was reaching for things that may or may not actually have been there in this type of uh, original material. Can everything become, you know, lesbian vampire fiction does everything benefit from that or not? So I have I have similar types of questions to you. And I'm interested that you said conservative because I've I've noticed in my notes as well that there was something about convention that was present in this production. It was as if the characters were stuck within the roles that these generic conventions had assigned them and were straining against the boundaries of those conventions, but ultimately didn't break into anything. New. They remained sort of buttoned up and mm. um, in that cast mm. that was that was presented. I think the text was so queer and schlocky <laughs> that it it possibly was not the right material for little ones because two wrongs didn't make a right <laughs> for me. On top of this, yeah, you know, because it was so cheesy and camp and schlock horror. I think. It would have been more successful if it had been played straight, Mm -hmm. like much straighter Mm -hmm. um, in my mind. So it's a compelling – It's a. and I mean it goes back to everything I say about Little Ones. It's like you'll not fucking see anything like that again in the content in this year. But also I think that's the reason why I wanted to do this independent company in one episode, two different shows because – Everything that I was feeling about that really gets backed up in terms of what we're going to talk about when we talk about Merciless Gods, because that show is polar opposite to this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so there's real scope within this company. I agree with you that this is one of the more memorable things I've seen for a while. And the the images created, even in that sculptural set of arrangements that I was talking about before is coming back to me very vividly now. So there was a success in terms of the aesthetic and the visual quality of this production. Mm. I'd love to see this as a film, to be perfectly honest. I think this this film would be, like, so rude 
And hilarious. And you could do more with the Marjorie Mallory double made. <laughs> it's almost like a Rocky Horror on the Moors. Yes. You know. That isn't yet a cult. Like It's like the first screening of Rocky Horror or the first production of Rocky Horror where people <laughs> yeah. don't know quite what to say yet. <laughs> without, without the music. Well, apart from the mandolin, Kate Bush, which I'm sure was an ad, you know, it was an affectation. It was that was snuck in there. I reckon it was where the whole thing started. You know, how how can we have a mandolin <laughs> version of Wuthering Heights? That Discuss. was the best scene in the yeah. whole thing. Um, so, I think really in a queering the context kind of thing, which is little ones, they definitely brought something to Red Stitch audiences that I do not think they have seen before, and I was more fascinated with watching the audience's reaction to this show than watching the show, so which is, you know, something really cool in its own right. Fantastic. Okay, into the next well no, it's intermission. Intermission Intermission I didn't do it as good as you did. <laughs> And we have a guest. We have one of our possible supporters coming to talk to us. Wessa Chow. Hello. Hello. Mm. What can we get you from the bar? Oh, yes. We need to furnish you with a beverage or a chop top. Martini. Martini. Yes, let's go there. Wow. So I've got a lot of questions for you, but mainly I would like to probably ask what do you like seeing and what's good that you've seen recently? Uh, in terms of production? Anything. Mm. Anything? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I have a very broad interest. So recently I've been to a Chinese orchestra. Ah. Yeah, so that was done by the Xiaofeng Chinese Orchestra based in Melbourne. Okay. Um, based so, in Melbourne. Yeah, so they've been running for about 35 years. So this is their 35th anniversary production. And so they had a guest. Um, orchestra from Hong Kong as well, and so that was that was really good. So secretive, I I see heaps of stuff um, in the orchestral classical music space, and I have never heard. Oh my god, of this Philip group. will be dying really? of FOMO right this now. This is so intriguing to me. That, <laughs> no, but it's it's just something. There's something about Melbourne, you know, the way that we do Things multiculturalism is sometimes yeah. in parallel. Mm. There's this 35-year-old orchestra yes. playing what kind of music? Uh, Chinese traditional music. Ah. Yeah, so, I mean, it was interesting because I think it would have been so good to actually have more people from all different cultures, not just Chinese people, mm. at, the, at the production. Okay, okay, so I wonder, yeah, how those patterns have developed and when, where we can get sort of... Some crossover, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, now yeah. you know, Philip. I know. So you need to be bringing this Absolutely. to our audiences. This is wonderful. So, was it a good show? Good music? Yes, definitely. Mm. Um, really good production mm. as well, and they're very professional. So, when you say good production, what do you mean? Yes, yeah, so they had the 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 Chaofeng Chinese Orchestra as well as the as the Hong Kong Orchestra and the way they kind of played together and the way it was put together was pretty good. Oh, it sounds yeah. like a real sort of choreographed thing. And where yeah. was this? Where? Where? Yeah. where? Recital Centre. I love that room. Yeah, me too. So beautiful. I so think much it, wood. I know. Yeah, yeah. smells good. I, I think Warm. that actually played a part as well because usually they play at the Melbourne Town Hall. Okay. That's the usual space. Well, the Recital Centre is, you know, ha- regarded to have the best acoustics in Melbourne. Yeah. So. so I reckon that had 
Fabulous. Huge impact. Fabulous. Yeah. So I will look out for it. Say the name again. Shao Feng Chinese Orchestra. Chinese All right. What orchestra. else? Hit us. What else have you seen? Peter Pan. <gasps> what? <laughs> it, it was cute. Now it's Carla's turn to be surprised. <laughs> was it a ballet or an opera? Or <laughs> No, it was a, a play. Like for children or for adults? Well, both? for both. Okay. Um, so, but there were lots of children there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it was um, It was good production as well. Wow. It was at cute. The, at the art <laughs> centre. Very cute. <laughs> Huh? Was it at the art centre? No, that was at the... Oh, in the city, time. though? In the city, yeah. And did they do just a sort of straight Disney-style take? Well, Tinkerbell died. <gasps> <laughs> that's, not, that's not a children's play. Yeah, well... Are you sure it wasn't directed by Little Mum's Theatre? <laughs> <laughs> the slow death of Tinkerbell as the wings flap more and more. <laughs> Um, Slowly. But they did bring her back, though. Oh. Resurrected Tinkerbell. Yeah, resurrected Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell returns. Yes. Wow, that's ultra dramatic. That is. Yeah, so I'm not sure if it is the traditional Disney take. Oh, wow. <laughs> the poor little five-year-olds. Well, <laughs> there were we kids that, that cried. There were kids that cried. <laughs> they would have been looking at their iPads otherwise. No, but you remember like traditional Disney, like Dumbo is pretty much the most viciously sad movie I've Bambi. ever seen in my life. Bambi. Yeah. Yeah. So the maybe it ones. is more traditional. The dark ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, wow. And Tinkerbell was on skates. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So. Wessa, you're bringing us surreal material. This is fantastic. <laughs> Melbourne. Very, um, yeah. <laughs> so that was the flight. That's how they did flight. It's well, like, yeah, instead of them being on like the, the harnesses, like flying across, they're just, it's like Starlight they did that Express. Too. Oh. They did that too. So she did um, lift off. She did lift okay, off. Okay, okay. And how was the resurrection done? What was the, how was the return of Tinkerbell stage? Well, I think it was trying to get the, everybody to get involved. Cool. Because it okay. was trying to get people to yell and Wake say up, yes. Tinkerbell. <laughs> and, and and everybody cast a spell at the same time. Oh wow. really? So it was yeah, almost yeah, like yeah. it was almost like panto. Oh, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. I see it now. Okay, the casting wow. of the spell. Yeah. So awesome. so that was kind of kind of cute. Mm. See, listeners, this is why we mm. want to have contact with you. Absolutely. We want to hear Tell about us. what Talk you're seeing. Us. So we I, don't live in our little homogenised gay bubble. This has been wonderful, Wessa. <laughs> and thank you so much for supporting our podcast during the possible campaign. Tell us a bit about yourself. Like, what's your what's your connection to us? What's the story? How do you experience Melbourne artistic life? Who are you? Who am I? Who are um, you? Yeah, so I am a consultant mm. in cultural diversity. So Amazing. I do consulting to organisations around cultural diversity, so I do training and consulting a little bit. But I recently just created a deck of cards. Ooh. It's called Power Cards. Ooh. So kind of combined... Good name. Combined politics, because I'm involved in politics, and my spirituality to create these cards. Amazing. And so what do the cards do? It's very much like oracle cards. Oh, okay. So like a reading deck. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. And yeah, just created a deck of cards to help people find their personal power. Wow, that's cool. Mm. How intriguing. So good to have you here. 
power, power cards. Yeah, that's why I decided to call it power.、Mm. Because、mm. we need more of that. Yeah, people、absolutely. to have more power, personal power. Personal power. Well, it definitely sets an intention for the reading, doesn't it? It, it does. It really <laughs> like does. straight out of the gate. Yeah, well, that's right.、Yeah. Um, and, and to be able to use that personal power with the traditional power. Okay. Which is more of the organisational power. Wow. Stunning. <gasps> But oops. It's time to go.、Oops. We've got to run into our show. Little ones, little ones. Thank you, Wessa. See you next Thanks time. Thanks for coming, Wessa. Thank you. All right. Now we're onto our second little ones theatre production. So this book ended July for us. It was, as mentioned before, Merciless Gods and. Original adaptation of Christos Chalkos's work. It's a book of small、uh, short stories that I've never read before, so I didn't really have any connection with the text. Although I have read most of his other books, it's a compilation of writing by Chalkos from across a few different periods. So early stuff, recent stuff. Yeah, it was really interesting.、Um, so it's also described by little ones as vicious and tender. Here is Australia, fabulous, in migrant camps, gay saunas, pill popping hipster dinner parties, porn sets, prison cells, and the seamy streets of King's Cross. Merciless gods captures haunting slices of our psyche and unveils the hidden faces of ancient deities. So I have to admit, having seen a long stream of a female Australian. Film directors at MIF, and also having somewhat, I think, like a national identity crisis down all the way down to a personal identity crisis. This was very timely for me. I was at Northcote Town Hall, which is actually a very big space. You mentioned space before with the Moors. I had every faith that they were going to be able to do that. I mean, they they got a proscenium march into La Mama, <laughs> so I thought the Moors was going to be fine. But I think this is the first time I've seen them on such a Big stage, and they took up that whole. They took up the whole space. So there was a almost like a catwalk. There was a catwalk that came out from the stage, and the performance was done, you know, essentially in the round. Well, one eighty, I guess, at two sides of the stage.、Uh, yeah, so it was five or six、uh, little vignettes, all with the same actors. I don't even know where to start with this. I say this all the time, but it was just. I cried so much in this, and especially with the way that Australia is changing. I mean, everywhere's changing. It's not just us. But I left Sydney 14 years ago, and everything that I left Sydney for is happening now in Melbourne, and I'm having a massive identity crisis over that. And now we're preparing to move again to the country to start again, start that cycle again. And I felt like these little vignettes were those little snapshots in time. They were like little markers of time of Australian history that made me cry because of the bittersweet nature of it never existing again. But also that the the beauty of how crystal clear these things were captured. I'll grab my notes to go through some of the the to name some of the shorter vignettes. But what are your initial thoughts, Philip? Well, I am interested in the short story collection as material for、Fabulous. a play. Never seen it. Fabulous. And the choice by Little Ones Theatre to essentially play that format straight to simply do vignette style, short story style adaptation of the collection was really effective because we read short story books. 
and we're okay with that. You know, we don't need uh, things to be unified. I don't, and I'm not okay with that. <laughs> and <laughs> and so this I'm worked sure, for you? Yeah, it worked yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah. I, I just liked that they didn't try to be too clever in the process of adaptation with the material of the short stories. Who's the person who wrote the script? It was adapted by... Uh, Paul Giovanni. No, yes. So the, the the job there was done really well by... Dan Giovanni. Yeah. Apologies. So Dan Giovanni's work was not too clever in a good way. You know, you've got short stories. Cholkas has done the work of arranging them in a sequence, putting them together. Some of them were left out, and I think the choice to leave some particular ones out was a good choice, thinking of those stories. And there were enough echoes and enough continuity to be satisfactory for an audience. Um, And the show itself had an intermission too. So there was that further breaking up of the material, um, allowing a sense of cumulative experience that was really satisfying. Um, And also it forced the actors to create moods and relationships and pathos very efficiently. And they did that, you Mm. know. The sound was very present. The way that characters developed their stories was very fast-paced. They took us there to points that required some uh, storytelling in just a sleek way and then reveled in it. Mm. And that those tears you were talking about, I had similar experiences because I found so much of it so full of pathos. This was this was stately but also melodramatic, you know, and that is Cholkis to me. Like he writes big stories, even if they're suburban, so he sort of goes, <laughs> he goes a layer further than other people do. So it's not not just thinking about the final story set in a gay sauna, it's not just a sort of anthropological look at how bodies move and how people make decisions and behave in that environment. It has to be, you know, the grandiose monologue. The costume has to be the double red Adidas tracksuit. You know, it needs to be played by a fabulous woman. So everything is just layer on layer on layer of fabulous theatricality. Grandeur. I... And having seen almost every single Little Ones play, and I do not mean this to be derogatory in any way, this was so grown up. Mm-hmm. This was proper theatre that really said something quite insightful and beautiful about the time and place that it is in. It was developed over three years and the care and passion towards this project is evident. There's a lot of things I want to say as well because we haven't mentioned mentioned Eugene Ter before who is uh, the costume designer for this but also the predominant set designer for Little Ones and he does a lot of set design around Melbourne. The talent in this team is absolutely extraordinary and this set is amazing. The continuity between the costumes between each vignette really created a thread of familiarity and narrative. Yeah. And also, Katie Spaghetti does this thing with her lighting. She lights from the side. Mm-hmm. She lights from both sides mm-hmm. instead of, well, there is a little bit of gelling from the top, but this lighting from the side is just such an interesting way of seeing people on stage. And it creates this, like, grainy film quality to what's happening that really makes something happen to my brain. It goes into this kind of meditative, 
relaxed, I'm in a cinema kind of mm-hmm. mode. And it really makes me take in the information that's being projected to me in such a different way. Obviously, being a Chulkos text, there's a lot of immigrant gay immigrant stories in here. There's a lot of the same players from Little Ones as well, Peter Paltos, Bridget Gallagher and Paul Blenheim. A couple that uh, they haven't uh, used before, so Sapita Kian, I hope I'm saying that right. She's absolutely stunning. And who was the woman that... Oh, Jennifer Vuletic. She was the old, not the old, but she was the German mother, the boho so mother. Powerful. Oh, absolutely extraordinary. The casting as well with Little Ones, these not only are the people's, there's so much power in these actors and the way that they look and the way that they hold themselves. They're also beautiful. But I have to say, Paul Blenheim, whom has been in a lot of their shows, this was a breakthrough in my mind with him for him. He was little Mickey, the heroin addict. That made me ball, mm-hmm. that vignette. It was so beautiful. And, you know, it was set in Sydney. It was set in a way that I remember Sydney as well. I'm getting choked up thinking about it. And it was just, I can't, it was just so tender and connected and present, but, yeah, I can't even describe it. Yeah, extremely powerful performances. I totally agree. And another thing that I go to Cholkos for is this sense of what Australia in its non-Indigenous cultures is in relation to the places people have come from. From the very first of the short stories, which was this drug fueled party (laughs) on some kind of apartment on Russell Street or some such. Um, Somebody says, we are so far away here. And that became for me a kind of bookmark that just sort of moved throughout each of these stories. This sense of distance, cringe in relation to our cultural identity, the need to be experimental and Mm. to find new forms of connection and community just because, well, what else are we going to do? All of that melancholy that comes from the cultures of Australia was just bleeding out of every scene. Mm. Yeah, really, really thought-provoking and stately. I found this to be essentially a love letter to outsiders. I mean, you know, queer theatre is essentially, but this, particularly like gay, uh, queer children of migrants, I think had a particularly tough time growing up in Australia, but you know, transpose that. And that's what I did appreciate about this book of short stories as well because, you know, it wasn't just queer. There was a lot of – there was straight stories in there as well of, you know, disaffected – almost disaffected children essentially Mm. or disaffected third generations. Yeah, I I can't speak highly enough about this. This show was the reason why I loved going to the theatre and I feel so deeply connected to it. it. It's almost like therapy to me. Mm. It is therapy to me. Mm. Yeah, a kind of ritual, collective, therapeutic experience. Yeah. Mm. It is in Sydney soon. Oh, true. Very good Go point. Go to it. Definitely. Mm. Go to Sydney. See <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, little ones. Hooray. Coming soon. Coming soon. Everything. <laughs> Four, it's very busy. 4,000 shows coming down the pipeline for you, Melbourne. I was in Lord of the Fries the other night. Oh. And there was the Fringe magazine. Everything is art, <laughs> it says. 
And I thought, I can't even get some vegan fries in this town. I love that it's got everything is art. Everything is art. Uh, Oh, yeah. And then the star. Bullion. Yeah. Yeah. As in like Melbourne, Philip. Yes. Yeah. Collins Street. For 2.5 weeks, it says on the side, which is hilarious. But what have you got earmarked for fringe? There's a big butt on the Fringe Hub and Club, sitting on a disco light, and guess what? It's Little One's Theatre. <gasps> oh, that's right. They're doing oh, hang a... on. That's not Little One's Theatre, but they're doing a thing about George Michael. Yes, they're doing a George Michael night. 10 because... p.m. until late. <laughs> <laughs> because remember, it's called Faith. Amazing. Because well, didn't they do the Madonna one last year? They did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a wonderful night. Yeah. The Fringe Hub and Club is actually bonkers. Oh, it's where I've met the, I met the love of my life there Stunning. 10 years ago. At the parties that Marie Carty used to put on with Gabby. Uh, I don't think you ever went to them. I, I drank water out of a goon bag, like sort of <laughs> fed to me by some cabaret performer swinging around a pole. Honestly, the free fringe party on the last Saturday oh night at, Mel- at North Melbourne Town Hall is the best party of Melbourne in, That's in the year. 30th September, 10pm <laughs> till late. <laughs> okay. Bit of a theme developing. But yeah, Little Ones Theatre doing Faith. Um, what else is in Fringe? As I, I flick through, many, oh many, God. many George Michael beards. Take Bring no, take all of Melbourne. that on. Yeah, Lady Bunny is coming. I just what? noticed lots. Of, yes, Trans Jester. Shut up. 29th. So that's the night before the thirtieth. The 29th. Hoof doof and hot ticket present Lady Bunny and Trans Jester. Mm. So that's going to be cool at the Alex Theatre St Kilda. I saw Lady Bunny in New York last year. Oh, my God. Year. Yeah, she was just walking past me. in. F- I was eating dinner outside of a restaurant and she just, like, walked past me in full drag, <laughs> pulling a suitcase at, like, 5.30 in the so afternoon. So it's real. Yeah, it's <laughs> the, real. The myth is real. <laughs> um, so that stood out to me. And then there's this funny-looking thing. So... Before when I said that there's the butt on the disco ball, that's actually How to Kill the Queen of Pop, a murderous drag reimagining of the 2000 Olympic opening ceremony, darling. Uh, <laughs> so. Too far. Uh, too much. Too much. <laughs> if the Moors was pushing Jane Eyre a bit too far, how far can drag in the Olympics go? I will be there. Oh, my God. But I, I, I only have one very me recommendation. What is that? Which is next week, actually. And that is uh, Melbourne Writers Festival. We can't forget Melbourne Writers Festival oh starts God. next Quick. week. Uh, Janet Mock. We talked about it with Lisa on the show the last uh, two episodes ago. Janet Mock, trans activist, lady about town, fabulous woman. Uh, she is headlining MWF and her talk at the Deacon Theatre, whatever the fuck that's called. The shiny glass thing. The Deacon thing. Yeah. Uh, is next week, so get into it. I've got my tickets. Can't wait. Are you going? Yeah, I'm going. Oh, great. I'll Julian's see you there. coming. Yes. We'll be there. All right. And maybe we'll see you there too. And that is that for this late, but we're just about to finish catching up episode for June 2017. Thanks for listening. You can contact Philip and I at us at acrossr.com or Facebook page the same or Twitter also the same at Across Isle. Thanks to our third season possible supporters who enabled us to pay for the divine Ron to make us look fabulous and sound even more amazing. Thanks to our subscribers. We were able to pay for all of our bills. Thank you very much. And we hope you're having fun out there. As you've just heard, we obviously have no idea what the fuck's going on. So <laughs> please let us know what you're doing so we can get onto it. We want to see the next Peter Pan. <laughs> see you next time. Bye.